Calvary is more than just saving us from hell. There's so much more. Amen. And so I've titled the message this morning, A Journey Through Gethsemane. And we're going to journey together today. I'm going to be jumping between scriptures, so please bear with me. There's different accounts in the different Gospels, and it's important that we take a bit from each one. The scriptures will be on the screen, so let's get right into the Word. And I'm going to start off by reading in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. We go over to Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping. So I want to draw a picture this morning about what took place in Gethsemane. And we see the story as Jesus goes to a familiar place to pray. And he takes with him his disciples. And he pulls aside three of his closest men, Peter, James, and John. And in this moment, Jesus says to them, Up until now, I've helped you. I've prayed for you. I've been there for you. But in this moment, the most critical hour of my life, I need you. I need you to pray with me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to stand with me. And we see the word agony. You know, it's strange they had yet to lay a finger on him. And yet it says he's in agony. This word agony is a word in Greek that means conflict, struggle, a fight. It actually draws a picture of two wrestlers in a wrestling match where one opposition or opponent is trying to overthrow the other opponent. And so we realize that when the scripture says that Jesus is in agony, what in essence they're saying, he's in an extreme, intense struggle and conflict. Sure. The conflict he finds himself is the, the conflict between his will and the Father's will. You see, his heart knows exactly what he needs to do, but his head is oppositional. Yeah. The flesh is warring against what he knows he has to do. And he's in this agony, this conflict. He's trying his utmost to surrender his will to the will of the Father. 
He knows he needs to conform his will, but he is in a fight, a conflict, a wrestling match between his head and his heart. Three times he says, Father, let this cup pass me by. And three times he says, not my will, but yours. Yeah. I wonder what that cup must have looked like. Here we have a man who is holy, without sin, pure, righteous, and he looks into a cup of the sins of the entire world. Sure. And he sees filth, he sees poverty, he sees greed, he sees pride, he sees anger, he sees hatred, he sees murder, he sees abortion, he sees rape, he sees adultery, he sees heartache. And in that moment, he recognizes all of this has to come on me. And he says, God, let this cup pass me by. Sure. Not novel, but yours. Sure. And Jesus finds himself in such a conflict between the head and the heart, his will and the Father's will. Scripture says that he prayed more earnestly. This word earnestly depicts or shows a picture of someone who has reached the absolute limit. They're on the brink of all they can endure. And it actually would describe a person who's in so much pain that they fall to the ground and they start rolling in agony. And Jesus is laying on the floor crying out, Father, let this pass me by. Sure. It's more than I can endure. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come here this morning saying, I've hit my limit. I can't take anymore. I'm on the brink of all I can take. My pain is too deep. My wound is too sore. I've even contemplated suicide. I can't take no more. I want to say this morning, Jesus had you on his mind. Amen. When he went amen. to the cross. Amen. Yes, amen. Verse 41 says, he was a the disciples were a stone throw away. I wonder how they could have fallen asleep. I was thinking about this. If you pick up a stone and throw it at best, it would probably be from here to maybe the sound desk, unless you're really strong. Got a good... <laughs> That's how far his disciples were from him. And he's rolling on the floor, crying out to God. He's sweating blood. And his disciples are asleep. And I think to myself, how was that possible? How did they not notice? How did they not see? Were they caught up in their own stuff? Did they not pay attention? Did they not care? And Jesus experiences loneliness, rejection, and abandonment from his closest people. Sure. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you too have come here this morning saying that I've been let down by those closest to me. When I thought I could count on them, they were nowhere to be found. In my darkest hour, <coughs> They were nowhere. I want to say, Jesus had you on his mind Amen. when he went to Calvary. Amen. 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 
verse 43 says that an angel appeared to him and strengthened him. You see, when man lets you down, God steps in. And he offers divine assistance. When everyone else lets you down, he's the one that sticks closer than a brother. We see that the angel comes in and, and strengthens him. But it came from him waiting on God. You see, he wasn't focused on who's not supporting me. Why aren't they supporting me? Where are my friends? He was in the presence of God. He was waiting on the Father. And in that moment, God sends divine assistance. We too need to find ourselves in the presence of God. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and not look to people and wonder why have they let me down? What went wrong? Where's the loyalty? All I've done, Jesus had invested his life to these people. All I did for them, where are they? And oftentimes we go through things in life and we wonder where are our friends? Where's the support? And we try and figure this thing out in our mind and we try and cope in our own strength and we try and get things together based on us. But really where we need to be is in the presence of God. And God gives him divine assistance through an angel. After the angel strengthens him in in Mark, I think yeah, Mark 14, it says that he, he gets up he says to his disciples, Rise, let us go. My betrayer is at hand. You see, the minute he was strengthened, he stands up and he's ready to face what lies ahead. Yeah, sure. Amen. He's ready to take on the challenge and to complete the task at hand. We too need divine assistance daily to be able to face what lies ahead and to complete the task at hand. And he says, come, let us go. My betrayer is at hand. I want to read from John 18, verse 3 to 6. And it says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who had betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. You see, this word detachment actually refers to a military cohort, which would generally be made up of about 600 soldiers. I asked myself the question, how many soldiers does it take to arrest one man? (laughs) Really, think about it. 600 armed soldiers come in to take one man. Why? I believe it's because he had a reputation of supernatural power. Amen. They come in with weapons, with lanterns, Enough men to cover every corner of the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and they come prepared to go on a manhunt right into the night because they bring torches and lanterns. You don't need a lantern and a torch in the middle of the day. They come in prepared to go on our manhunt, hours looking for him, suspecting that Jesus would go into hiding. They also come in with enough weapons to go into serious combat. They come with, with swords, clubs, Something that a Roman soldier would use when he goes into intense battle. And I ask myself the question, why? For one man? You see, Jesus had a reputation of power. These men had either themselves witnessed or had heard of the fact that Jesus cast out 6,000 demons out of one man. They had heard that he had spoken to the wind and the wave. And even nature obeyed. Yeah. Yeah. They had heard or seen the fact that he healed the sick and he raised the dead. Yes. And these men are coming in here wondering what on earth are we going to face? Yeah. This man has supernatural power. Yeah. You see, they were very right about his reputation, but they were so wrong about his character. Yeah. You see, they assumed that Jesus would run and hide. They assumed that he would fight back. What they didn't know about his character, that he was actually the Prince of Peace. Yeah, sure, amen. He came with power, but he always operated with gentleness. Yeah. So, his reputation is correct, but they're so wrong about his character. And maybe that's you today. Maybe people have misunderstood you. Maybe people have drawn a conclusion about who they think you are. And they've judged you accordingly. I want to say, Jesus had you on his mind when he went to the cross. Jesus says to them, whom do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he responds, I am. This is the same Greek word that God used when he said to Moses, tell the Israelites, I am has sent you. Yes, amen. Same word, I am. You see, Jesus could have said, that's me, I'm Jesus. He didn't respond like that. It says that as he speaks the word of God, 600 armed soldiers are hit back with the power of God. Sure. And they fall to the ground. This word fell is a Greek word, pipto. It means that they hit the ground so hard like a dead corpse. Sure. Think about this. Yeah. Sure. With the word of God. Yeah. I am. I am. Wow. The power of God, it is a blast that happens in the God of Gethsemane, a blast of power that hits 600 armed soldiers to the ground like dead corpses. You see, he could have responded and said, I'm Jesus. But had he done that, he would have agreed with the identity that they had given him. Sure. That's right. And how they knew him, they had built a case about him. Had he said, I'm Jesus, he would have been agreeing with the identity that man had given to him. But instead, he says, I am. He, in that moment, identifies himself as I am God 
in the flesh. Yeah. Sure. And he aligns himself with the identity that God had given him. Yeah. Not what man had given him. Yeah. He aligns himself to the identity and the truth of what God had said over him. Your accuser, your enemy, will also come with accusation. But there's a truth that needs to be spoken. Yeah. And what we need to learn to do is when the enemy is standing in our face, we need to learn to speak the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To speak truth because the Word of God has not lost its power. Yeah. And you see, the enemy knows your name, but he always calls you out on your sin. Sure. On the other hand, God knows your sin, but he always calls you out by your name. Sure. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's good. We need to start declaring the truth about what God says over us. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved, the one in whom I am well pleased. The one I dance over and rejoice over. The one I love dearly. When I see you, I see the sun. And then we're going to look at Matthew 26, verse 48 to 50. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? This word kiss is a Greek word for leso, and it talks about a kiss between covenant friends. It's not just a friendly hello, how are you doing? This was a kiss that was exchanged between two covenant friends. And we see that this was nothing out of the ordinary because no one stood back and wondered why Judas was kissing. Judas knew he would get away with this kiss because him and Jesus were covenant friends. At the Last Supper, just the night before the betrayal, Jesus says, this is my new covenant. And Judas partakes of that. Judas is a covenant friend with Jesus. And I've often wondered, why would Judas betray Jesus? Some would say it was because he was jealous. He didn't go with Peter, James and John. He wasn't the favorite. (laughs) Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he was greedy because he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But can I tell you why Judas betrayed Jesus? He was offended with him. Sure. In Matthew 26, 6 to 13, the story is about the anointing in Bethany when a woman comes and breaks the jar of oil. And the disciples say to Jesus, what a waste. This could be a year's wages. And Jesus corrects them and says, I will not be with you always, but the poor will be. This is verse 6 to 13. The very next verse, verse 14, in the same chapter, it says Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Why? Because he took an offense. Sure. He took an offense because Jesus corrected him and never agreed with his opinion. Yeah. Sure. So he takes an offense and it puts in a seed of betrayal. And it results in death. Yeah. It results in the death of Jesus. (laughs) 
But it also results in the death of Judas because scripture tells us he goes out and hangs himself because he cannot live with what he's done. Church, I want to encourage you today. If you've taken an, an offense, let it go. Yeah. It will be your downfall and your destruction. It will cause death in your purpose, in your destiny, in your calling, in your passion, in your vision, in relationship, in family. It will be your downfall. Let the offense go. Forgive quickly. Judas betrays Jesus because he takes an offense. And Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest covenant friends. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been betrayed by someone you thought you could count on. Maybe your husband or your wife has been unfaithful. And you've been betrayed by someone you had a covenant with. And the wound is deep. And the door is open to take an offense. Church, I want to say Jesus had you on his mind when he went to the cross. Amen. Amen. We see 600 soldiers being floored by the power of God. They've been paralyzed by his presence. They lay there. And the story tells us that Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus. Malchus of all people. He's the high priest Caiaphas' servant. He's the public spokesperson. And he chooses to cut off his ear. (laughs) Of all people. And I wonder, really, if you're angry with someone, do you say, I'm going to cut off their ear, or am I going to cut off their head? head. I think it's because Peter was a fisherman and not a soldier, so he missed. And he took off his ear instead of his head. But I think the intention was to take off their head all along. And so he pulls the sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. You see, Peter looks at the situation and he sees these guys laying on the floor. They're paralyzed. They look like dead corpses lying everywhere. And he goes, this is our chance. Let's take matters into our own hands. You see, this action would have resulted in his execution. Because he took on someone of such caliber. And he uses a sword against him. He would have been arrested. It would have been his execution. But in that moment, possibly Peter thought, this is our chance. And and he responds in fear. Maybe he had a grudge against Malchus. Because Malchus led the 600 soldiers in. Maybe he was angry. Maybe he was desperately trying to help his friend Jesus. Be it as it may, Peter takes matters into his own hands. And Jesus looks at him and says, what are you doing? I could have called on 12 legions of angels to assist me. We heard last week, a legion is 6,000. 12 legions, 72,000 angels. In the Old Testament, the kings, one angel kills 185,000 men on his own. Which means, Jesus could have called on enough angels to wipe out over 13 billion people in that instance. Sure. sure. But he chooses not to. And yet Peter thinks, let me help you. I'll take care of this. One man with a sword. And he can't even chop off the man's head. But he takes matters into his own hands. And I wonder, you know, Jesus standing there, 
been able to call on that much help and he chooses not to. I believe it's because he knew that there was more to the story than what he was facing right now. Sure. And we too need to understand that we will face things in life and if we could just call down instantly, Lord, change everything, fix everything, take this away from me. There's more to what we're going through than what we're seeing right now. Yeah. yeah. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Him. Yeah. But Peter makes an absolute mess because he takes matters into his own hands. And Jesus does something remarkable. In Luke 22 verse 51, Jesus says, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Sure. In other words, what he's saying, give me the opportunity to just do this one last thing. Allow me this one thing. You see, Jesus is on the road to the most gruesome and brutal experience of his life. But he recognizes that Peter has taken matters into his own hand. And in essence, what's going to happen is Peter will never fulfill his purpose. He will never fulfill his destiny. Jesus had prophesied and said, Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. But it's not yet fulfilled. Yeah. So Jesus says, allow me this one thing. And he pauses everything in the, the garden. Everything. And he cleans up Peter's mess. Sure. He says, give me the opportunity so that I may fix your mess so that you may fulfill your purpose. Sure. Amen. Jesus sure. wants to do the same for you and me. Sure. That's right. And maybe you've come in here this morning and say, you don't have an idea of what a mess my life is in. One bad decision after the next. I've taken matters into my own hands and when I look around, I see a heap of ruins. I want to say today, Jesus had you on his mind when he went to the cross and he is still today saying, permit me this thing. Give me this one thing. Allow me to clean up your mess. Yeah. Because you too have not yet fulfilled your purpose. You too have not yet fulfilled your destiny. And he wants to give you the opportunity to step in to destiny. Mm. Luke 22, 63-65 the men held Jesus and mocked him, blindfolded him and struck him, and then said, prophesy, who struck you? This word mocked means to play games, to amuse a crowd by impersonating someone in such a silly and exaggerated way. You see, I want you to visualize what was taking place. Here we've got a group of men who are pretending to be dead. And another one raises him and they laugh. There's another who pretends to be paralyzed and suddenly they lay hands on him and he's healed. And one is blind and suddenly he can see. And one is possessed and then they cast out the demons. And they're making an absolute mockery of the ministry of Jesus in this moment. Sure. They blindfold him and they beat him. And then they say, come on now. If you're a prophet, prophesy. Who struck you? I want to say to our youth and those in varsity this morning, you too will be mocked for the stand that you take. Yeah. Yeah. When you choose to live a life of purity and of holiness, you too will be mocked. 
They too will ridicule you and make fun of you and play games with you. I want to encourage you today. Stand firm. Do not back down. Amen. Do not become weary in doing good. Jesus had you on his mind when he went to the cross. And Jesus is led out to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate gives him three opportunities to defend himself. You see, the Roman law was that you could defend, give the, you could defend yourself, and if you did not, after three times, you automatically were charged guilty. Three times Pontius said to him, Jesus, defend yourself. There must have been something in the eyes of Jesus when Pontius looked at him and decided, I don't want to crucify this man. And he says, Jesus, please defend yourself. And Jesus remains silent. Maybe you too are standing in a situation where you feel you need to defend yourself. Psalm says, I will vindicate you. Be silent. Sure. I believe that when Jesus remained silent, he proved to us that in essence this battle was actually won in Gethsemane. You see, here he's given a legal opportunity to defend himself. There's a loophole. He can get out of this. But had he not gone through the agony of his will and submitting and surrendering his will to the Father, he would have taken hold of this opportunity. But he had already aligned his will to the Father's will in Gethsemane. And so the opportunity comes and he lets it pass him by. And I believe today there are many of us that need to surrender our will to the will of the Father. Amen. We can sing, I surrender all, until we're given a choice between this or that. And we choose that because this is just too hard. This causes agony and conflict in my man, my flesh, my will. It's not what I want. And until we surrender our will to the Father, we will continuously be reacting according to our will. I believe had Jesus not dealt with his will, he would have reacted to every event in Gethsemane. He would have reacted. But instead, because he had surrendered his will to the Father, he was able to respond to the Father in every event in Gethsemane. Wow. Very good. You see, we can go through and say, I surrender all, but until someone upsets me. And then I take matters into my own hands. Until somebody betrays me and I take an offense. Church, I want to say to you today that every one of us will go through our own Gethsemane. You too will experience betrayal and heartache and disappointment and loneliness and rejection. Being mocked and criticized and have someone have a case against you. All of us will go through our own Gethsemane. But how we journey through it is dependent on whether or not we have submitted our will to the will of the Father. You see, Jesus goes through Gethsemane victoriously. But he doesn't stop there. 
he goes on to Calvary to ensure the victory for your Gethsemane. Amen. Amen. I've asked a few people this week, what does Calvary mean to you? What was the crucifixion? Most, if not all, said it was the forgiveness of sin. And how thankful I am for the forgiveness of sin. I was desperate for another chance. I became a recipient of grace. You see, the Word of God tells us that there's only one way to the Father. That's through His Son. There's only one way to be guaranteed of eternal life in heaven. It's through the Son. Yeah. And there's only one acceptable payment for your sin. That's His blood. Romans 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, you will be saved. Amen. But there's more to Calvary than a guarantee of life in heaven. There's a guarantee of victory on earth. Amen. Amen. Calvary was not a symbol of a good, easy, perfect, pain-free, carefree life. John 16 tells us that in this life you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. I wish I could tell you different. But he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Calvary needs to become your starting point, your place of reference. You see, you may say, I've experienced betrayal, but you are not betrayed. You may have experienced rejection, but you are not rejected. Yeah. You may have experienced loneliness, but you are not lonely. And yes, you may most definitely have messed up. You are not a mess. That's right. Gethsemane cannot become your identity. It needs to be your testimony. Yeah. Amen. You see, Gethsemane will not defeat you and it will not define you when you understand that Calvary redeemed you. Amen. That there is victory yeah. in Calvary. Yeah. And Jesus paid the full and complete price for what you would need on this earth. Sure. Amen. He said, it is finished. Yeah. And he had you in mind through every one of these events through Gethsemane. Church, we too need to go through Gethsemane. It cannot be our destination. Yeah. We can't pretend that things didn't happen to us and heartache and disappointment. They do. But they cannot define who we are. Yeah. And we need to go through Gethsemane and we need to get to the cross. And then we need to live beyond the cross. Amen. We need to access everything that was made available for us at Calvary. And it was more than only eternal life. It was life here, victorious. Amen. Can I ask the band just to come up? I'm going to start closing. I want to give everyone an opportunity this morning that 
if you have not come to a place of accepting the price that was paid at Calvary, if you cannot say that I am certain of my eternal destination, I want to give you the opportunity today to make right with God. I don't want you to leave an Easter service so aware of what Jesus did, the price that He paid. And you walk out not taking hold of what He did for you. Can we all just bow our heads for a moment? There's anyone here this morning who says, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. I've never encountered grace. I've never experienced His love firsthand. I don't know what it means when you say I need to sit in His presence and be strengthened by Him. And today I want to meet, I want to encounter this person, grace, love, another chance. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to slip up your hand quickly. And I just want to pray with you. I don't want anyone leaving here this morning not having made right with your Savior. there's anyone here that says, I did once meet Jesus, never had a relationship with Him. Today I want to come back to Calvary and I want to take hold of what He has for me. I want to rekindle this relationship that I had or should have had or longed to have. If that's you, I want you to put up your hand. I want you to be bold this morning. You know, the Word of God says that when one returns, all of heaven rejoices. Yes, amen. So I'm going to ask these two ladies that put up their hand to come to the front. Be bold. We've all done it at some point. And we want to celebrate your decision this morning. Eden.
one soul. Jesus said if it was for one, he would have still come. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers this morning to come and hand out communion. We're going to remember what Jesus did. And as they do that this morning, I want to just share a testimony. And it's very personal, so bear with me this morning. But yesterday we buried my cousin. He passed away suddenly. And one thing we recognized after looking at his life was there was so much trap potential that was never unleashed because of his Gethsemane moments in his life. Because he had gone through betrayal and rejection as a child. He had experienced heartache and disappointment one after the next. And he went through Gethsemane after Gethsemane. But it became his identity. Ashes, you can, you can start handing out. It became his Gethsemane. His identity. His destination. And although he knew the Lord, he never tapped in to the fullness of what Calvary meant. This morning as we take communion, I want you to just take a moment to think about your life. To allow the Holy Spirit to show you moments where you've allowed your Gethsemane to become your destination. God wants to restore you today. He wants to heal you. Once you've got your communion, you can close your eyes and you can just meditate on the word that was shared today.
And as I shared now about my cousin, I've read something once before that it says that a cemetery is one of the wealthiest places because so much potential has been buried there. Let that not be said of you and me. Christ paid the price. You don't have to. Allow Him this morning to bring healing to those areas. Those Gethsemane moments in your life where it's kept you trapped and held back. The rejection, God wants to heal it. The loneliness. The betrayal. Times where you've been ridiculed and mocked. People have judged you wrongly. Today, His blood wants to bring healing. He's saying, give me this one chance to clean up the mess. Let me fix it for you. Isaiah 53 says, He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Give it to Him this morning. Give your Gethsemane to Him. Take hold of the cross. Take hold of the victory. Take hold of the blood. It has not lost its power. And allow Him to bring healing because He genuinely knows what you've been through. He understands. But He says it does not end there. There's more. There's a purpose. There's a destiny. There's a life to be lived. So today as we eat the bread, take hold of what He did for you. Where His body was broken for your healing, both physically and emotionally. And so Father, we take eat today in remembrance of what your Son did for us. He understood what we would go through and he knew that the cross was necessary he surrendered his will God today we surrender our will we allow it to be aligned with the will of the Father and we say heal us today we ask
It is done. It is forgiven. Give it to Him this morning. Don't carry it. It's not yours to carry any longer. There's freedom today. Forgive yourself. Allow God to forgive you. And move on forward. There is more. There is more. Yeah. And so Father, we take the cup today in remembrance of the blood that was shed. Jesus, you could have given a drop and it would have been enough, but you gave in excess for us. Poured out everything. God, we repent today of thinking that we need to carry the shame and the guilt of what we've done. We repent today. And ever we ask that you forgive us, that you empower us to move beyond this place, that we would move through our Gethsemanes, we would take hold of Calvary. And we will live an abundant and victorious life because of the price that your son paid for us.